Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways you can address them when you're short of time. I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is not taking things personally. It's easy to take things to heart when working on a change initiative. The environment makes it easy to do so. It's fast-paced, deadline-driven, and moving forward often requires multiple approvals, not to mention that circumstances constantly change. But when you take things personally, you're not at your best, and often you're at your worst. So, How do you separate content from emotions and avoid the knee-jerk responses and regrettable behaviors triggered by your perceptions? My guest today is Paul Marshalldon. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here, Phil. So great to have you on the show. Paul is a branding consultant, motivational speaker, and author of Leisureology, a guide to a new, better work ethic. He helps companies drive revenue growth through human engagement and genuine collaboration, which both seem like foundations for today's topic. Paul, what's been your experience with not taking things personally? I don't know about you, but for me, I actually had a time where I believed that taking things personally was a virtue. Like I actually thought, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I put so much heart of myself into it that, you know, it was really important that I got things right. Um, but I've really come to believe that uh, taking things personally is really selfish. It's really, you know, taking it to yourself and not being aware of the people and environment around you. I've had some great help through books like, are you familiar with The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz? One of the four agreements is don't take anything personally. And his notion there is that, you know, nothing others do is because of you. It's the, the, the notion that what others say and do is a projection of their own reality. So if you're able to sort of immune yourself to that, then you'll have less suffering in your life. Wow, that's really interesting. We, we met like 20 years ago and, and when you were running your, your very successful agency, Atlantis Creative Group, and you were fearless. Like, you know, it's all about creating environments and experiences where teams could excel and, and potentially punch above their weight. But in order to do that, you went into territory that was so new at the time where you got a lot of tension from, I think, suppliers and whatever to try and stretch it. If you did take it personally way back then, what were the negative results or what were the the negative impacts of, of taking things personally? Well, I I learned early in my career that taking things personally is a surefire way of failure. The notion, one of the best examples I can give you is we were always pitching creative to clients. And usually we would go in with three ideas. And on the way in, my account directors would say, Paul, you know, which idea do you think is the best idea? And I would say to them, the best idea is the idea that client likes. And the reason why they asked that is because we'd often be three of us and we'd each take one of the ideas and became a bit of an internal competition amongst us of who did the best presentation of the idea. But it wasn't about that. It was really, you know, the best, who did the best job of conveying the idea, not who actually got the, you know, won the idea. So really at the end of the day, it was about, you know, engaging the client. And if a client didn't like an idea, you had to be really okay with that because what they're doing is they're telling you what they do like. And so you start to listen to them and run with them and get into their space and not be stuck in your space about what you're attached to. And I imagine that that takes a lot of learning and and over your career. And what what made you 
flip the switch? Was it, you know, the books that you'd, you'd read or, you know, from I taking everything personally, because I'm a passionate business person that, that really wants to drive to success. What, what flipped that switch for you? A couple things. One is parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I have a child that suffers from um, anxiety and they were in grade six and uh, they're at their locker and a, their bestie came uh, storming out of the classroom and they said, hey, Chloe, how are you? And they just kept walking right by them, didn't even make eye contact and was really distraught. And my son was crushed. He was like crying, thinking, what did I do? Why was she so upset with me? And, and you know, what am I going to do now? As it turns out, it had nothing to do with him. He, the girl had just been reprimanded by the teacher and was so, you know, upset that she just had to go somewhere and be alone. And yet my son automatically assumed that it was about him. So there's, you know, lessons that you get from your children and you think about in your own life about not taking it personally. And then I think of a great leader. So I don't know if you've ever worked with Frank Stronach, the founder of Magna, one of the wealthiest Canadians, you know, ever, and built this unbelievable empire and was a client of mine. And I mostly dealt with uh, his daughter, Belinda Stronach, but occasionally, I remember one time Belinda said, my father would like to speak to you privately. I thought, wow, that's exciting. And I'd only just launched Atlantis and I get in there and as it turns out, Frank wants to hire me, but hire me you know, on his team and individually, yet I just launched this business. And Frank said to me, you know, he invited me to join him. And I was young and I said to, I said to Frank, if you can believe this, I said, I don't think you can afford me. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to say that, but I never felt like I could. <laughs> Frank took a moment. He tilted his glasses down and he looked at me and he said, excuse me? <laughs> now, it wasn't kind of an ego thing or whatever, but he was just genuinely curious. He's looking at me. He's like, I can't believe this kid just said to me that I can't afford him. And I realized what I had said. I said, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, that came out wrong. What I meant to say is the job that you want to hire me for, the amount that would be reasonable to pay for that is far less than I'm projecting to earn with my new agency that I've launched. And he asked me a whole bunch of more questions. He was very curious about that. And he looked at me, he's like, I could see why uh, you would want to continue with that. And, and it turns out I ended up being his agency on, uh, on a project for years and years after that. So I really, that was a big win. And what I would have learned from him is he didn't take that personally because the way it came out, it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do another course on what not to say to very, uh, very influential so, business leaders. So the real takeaway on, on that experience was that Frank was curious. He asked more questions and he didn't, he didn't take it personally. Wow, that's an, an excellent example and, and, and great learning for you. And so how do you develop that mindset? Because I know in your book and, and, and a lot of your, your courses and teachings, it is about mindset and you're, you're very connected with body, mind and soul. And you know, how do you set up a mindset when you are in a sort of a pressure cooker environment of a, of a change initiative or essentially all of your clients are, are going through a, a massive transformation. How do you prepare yourself mentally so you don't fall into the, I've taken it personally and, and react in kind? Right. Well, I, I can say that the, the answer isn't an overnight solution. It's a practice and uh, meditation I highly recommend because what meditation does is it really gets you into a much more mindful space. It, it allows you to put that pause in before reacting. So where you, where you respond as opposed to you know, react. 
And there's this cute little, back to kids, there's this cute little thing that you could Google called Be the Pond. And it's a program called Cosmic Kids. And it's for children. It's five minutes long. And it's about mindfulness. And the, and the gist of it is, is that there's this pond and there's all these fish and there's an anxious fish and there's an angry fish and there's a happy fish and a sad fish and a tired fish and a hungry fish. And your job is not to be any of those fish. Your job is to be the pond and mm. to observe all of those fish. So those things that are going on inside of your head that, you know, you're starting to, you know, assumptions and feelings, your job is to step back and just observe that and then work with that and realize what's going on. So it's just giving you, removing yourself from being right, you know, uh, being the fish. Fascinating. And, and it reminds me of sort of negative self-talk, which, you know, I think is one of those tenets of mindfulness and you know, just what travels through your, your mind isn't necessarily true, but it's, a, you know, independent thoughts and you can choose what to do with them or not. Right. How do you manage those given everyone has them? But I, I would imagine success is how you interpret them, just like the pond and, and the fish. How do you turn it into, you know, I realize this theoretically and I'm able to do it practically? Right. Well, I, I have a, a few steps that I, that I use. Uh, one is I actually call it step zero because I had a step one and step two. And I realized there's something that comes before that. So step zero for me is relax and let go. So it's, And those are actually two parts because the relax is just kind of take a breath. And then let go is letting go of any ideas, anything you're attached to. And that's really to open your mind, to really be open to what the person is about to say or share. So relax and let go. And then step one is to connect. And I mean really connect. Is If you've been able to relax and let go of the ideas, then you can be really with the person that you're, that you're talking with. And then, of course, step two is ask questions. That's back to the be curious. like, mm. And that allows you to be in a place where you're really open and you're not taking it personally. You're not attaching prejudice ideas, ideas that you've already had in your head. You're really sitting there open to whatever it is that the other person is sharing. And that way you won't be hurt or disappointed or you won't take it personally. Do you ever forget? And, and it's, it's a great uh, process of how to get things ready. And I'm just so conscious of so many people going through large changes. And, and again, they, they come in with, you know, ways and tools to, to make them sort of be that neutral self going forward. But then, you know, they had four hours sleep and the kids were up all night and they've got a seven o'clock Zoom meeting and, and they're doing the big pitch where they might not go to their, their best process because they're kind of surviving. Do you ever fall into that or, or have you kind of moved beyond that sort of, I'm just trying to survive and get through this moment? I, I wish I could say I've moved beyond, I forget all the time. You know, you think about, God, can you imagine the stamina of like an Olympic athlete that is like a figure skater as an example, and they're going for the gold and they have a fall and they get right back up. And I guess what they've been trained to do is like, you know, you just let that go. And now you're, you're still going for the gold because it's possible. And it is possible to get the gold, even though you had a fall. So my trick is to really is to stop back and say, wow, I just messed up. I really took that personally just now. Hmm. That's interesting. And then you regroup and you step zero again and you relax and you let go and 
you just get back on your horse, you know? Well, that's great. And, and how, I'm wondering, you do so much work with, with teams and, and set them up to be high-performing teams and the, the whole notion of extreme collaboration and information sharing. How do you set a team up to have the almost a communal view of, you know, not taking things personally? Because individually, you can be that one person, but if you're on a team of 30, how do you prepare them to get closer to that as a cohesive unit? The number one best way is, first of all, to role model it. So is to do it and, and to be accountable. So when you actually mess up, you point it out to them. You show like, wow, I just took that personally. And so then they see like, okay, I get that. I saw how that happened, even on a small scale. And then you allow people, you, you make it a safe place to mess up. So you allow people to give permission to each other to give them feedback when they're taking it personally. And that takes, that takes some practice for sure, because people, you know, are stuck on taking it personally in many places. So it becomes a practice. But when you get a group doing it and you see people doing it well, all of a sudden, you feel like, oh, that person was just really vulnerable. Now I feel like I can be more vulnerable. And it works. You know, you set up a team, you start seeing it through role modeling, and it's six months down the line, and they're gearing up for, you know, a, a major sort of launch of a, of a new software program or a merger, and people are starting to forget, and they are starting to take it personally and as slights and let's say speaking with their friends about how they feel you know not respected how do you move those people back to what they did so well perhaps when it wasn't as time sensitive into that positive space when they've fallen into the hole of that natural default to taking things personally people need to go through the grieving process of whatever it is that they're letting go so you know there's a whole five steps to grieving and you have to make room for that so if somebody you know has something they, they need to get that laundry out, like air it out. But in through that, I think that people can kind of start to step back and see, oh, I'm not alone in this, uh, other people feeling this way. And it's not just about me, you know, that, that everybody's in this boat. And so I think dialogue, there again, it's being curious. It's, it's really asking questions and on both sides of the party. I wonder, you know, different organizations react differently and, you know, the culture of an organization can often drive behaviors and whether it is, you know, more combative or competitive or collaborative. Do you have any stories about, you know, perhaps two different companies that had different cultures and how that led to how people related to each other, you know, given their different views on topics? Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, there's a glaring one that comes to mind. I won't name them, but let's just say they're a telecommunications company. And the culture there was so combative and um, the furthest thing from mindfulness, where they were so attached to their devices. And by virtue, I mean, the technology is anti-connectivity, in my opinion. And so it actually created people who were less mindful and less connected to their peers. And so when you're not connected, you're not even aware that you're inflicting harm on others. You know, I stumbled across contract with them, but I uh, decided to not pursue any uh, working with them after because it was from the top down and there was, there was no appetite for change. I couldn't work with them. It fascinates me because, you know, you, you see a culture, you come in, it's the one that you describe. Did you try to move the culture? And then like, what let <laughs> you know that people said, hey, thanks, Paul, but we're really happy the way we are and, and we you know, this, this is what makes us who we are. Like, did you try and kind of poke it a little bit or broaden it a bit? You know, how, how many chair therapists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> one, but the light bulb really needs to want to change. <laughs> 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 one of the things I've 
you know, gotten wise to is, you know, don't offer your support where it's not welcome. I have gifts to offer them, but they're not receiving. So they haven't step zeroed. They haven't relaxed and let go of the ideas that they have. So I, I can't go there. I've come across a similar situation and, and I used to think, or had the mindset that if I could move them 5%, then I was doing good and I would take the assignments. And what I realize now is that 5% isn't much. And, and again, once you leave, the 5% goes away and, and, and almost that you can give people false hope that a, a culture will change, but you see all the signs that it's not going to be with that leadership. And, and so perhaps exiting is, is the best thing to do. And any comments about that? Well, I would, I would need to see radical desire for change and it would have to be at the CEO level. You know, if you don't have the buy-in right at the top, for any kind of culture change, then you know I don't think you're going to have success. I have seen it though, where there has been such a fundamental shift at the top. It's rare, but it does happen. How about on the positive side of things, where you go in and you're working with a client, they're they're keen to become more collaborative, they're keen to take on new behaviors at the top that are role modeled. Have you ever had sort of the delight of working with a, a client like that? Absolutely. I would have to say that they already had some level of, of that openness. It might have been a new area that they were, you know, a, a new problem that had been identified that they weren't aware of. And then they started to see, wow, that is a big problem. And uh, they were open to change in that area. And then, uh, you know, a classic would be diversity. Uh, and But I'm thinking way back into the 90s when uh, diversity became a thing. And I was really impressed. Um, happy to name the company. It was Warren Lambert. I was like, wow, they were really spectacularly advanced in how they address diversity in the workplace. No, that's, that's excellent. And what do you do, say, if someone takes something personally that you say and or that you did and you're seeing all the signs of, you know, emotional outbursts or, you know, change in mood or all those indications that things aren't quite right. How, how would you recommend that the listeners should deal? Like it's clear when someone's not kind of connecting the way they usually did and all roads point to they've taken something personal that you've done or said, how do you address it knowing that in their mind, you're the perpetrator? Right. Well, the first thing is I maintain strong self-esteem. So I, I hold myself internally that I feel, I still feel good about myself. And then I think like I really become accountable to them because I have a belief that communication is the responsibility of the communicator. So although I might've meant something entirely different, maybe even the opposite of what, how they interpreted it, however I said it, they interpreted it that way. So that's where I become asking accountable for, you know, and ask them how they felt about what I said. And then I start to, to say it differently and say, what if I said it like this? Would this be more meaningful to you? Would, would you be less you know, confronted by it? That sort of thing. Do you so apologize or, or not? Do you say, you know, um, sorry it, for you taking it that way or do you leave it? I do. I don't apologize for my idea. I apologize for the way I communicated it. Have you ever had the, the circumstance where, you know, the person has taken something in a different way and they've taken it personally. You go up to them and said, you know, Hey, just want to check in. Are you okay? And they go, no, I'm perfectly fine. Thanks. No, that's great. But you know, they're not, you, 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 right. you know, the body language is there, but they're not in a space where they want to share it or whatever. What do you do then? That's and I don't know the answer to that question. So that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> that, that is a tough one. I think what you want to leave is the impression that you are really open and safe 
to uh, speak to about whatever idea they have that, uh, or whatever feelings they have. So you leave room for them to communicate when they're ready to communicate. And safety is the factor. It's like you, you really, you got a step zero, you have to not be in a persuasive way. You have to really be, show that you're really open to whatever it is that they're feeling and they've taken away and that you're ready to be accountable for whatever. And then it's up to them if they want to make a move or not. No, oh, good. Well said. Thank you. And in your book, you, you have a quote. It's, it's great to read again. And it says, uh, all work and no play makes no sense. And, and again, in, in change, you know, the environment can be night and day. It can be, you can't take holidays at this time or whatever. Lots of long hours. It, it almost goes against sort of that inspiration of leisureology and, you know, how you can create greater productivity when you make room and, and space for doing things other than work. What's your comment about that? Like, how do you, how do you build in sort of space when that environment is so much, you know, keep working, keep working, keep working. Right. Well, it, it, it goes back to your belief system and, you know, I'm striving to be at hundred percent leisure <laughs> <laughs> and, and that doesn't mean that I don't work. Work and leisure are both a state of mind. And, you know, if you're really loving what you're doing, then you're in a state of leisure. So your work can be leisure. So I think, and I don't believe in this, uh, I don't like the term work-leisure balance because it sounds like they're two separate things. I like the term work-leisure integration. Uh, so for instance, after I'm done this, I plan to go down to the beach for a little bit. And, uh, and when I'm down there, I'll be thinking about, you know, possibly what's going on on the beach, but I might also be thinking about my next creative project. So it's really about making space, knowing what your goals and objectives are, and then doing them wherever, whenever you want. So how do you build in that space, whether it's mentally or, or physically, where people can take that extra time to kind of ground themselves and sort of be at their best when the environment is, is sort of pushing them to more uh, sort of ongoing, you know, step-by-step -step change or... Well, I always go back to checking in with your belief system. There's still so many people that believe that working harder and longer hours is more productive and efficient and effective, which uh, the research will show you that it's not. That it's far better for somebody to leave at five o'clock at night and come in fresh and, and tackle a problem again in the morning than it is for them to keep working. If there is like one thing you could do to make sure that you don't take things personally, what would that be? Uh, so the one thing I think is, is the be of the pond. It's, it's really take the moment to step back, relax, and, and have a look around. Remove yourself from the heat of the moment. And that's sometimes really hard to do because, you know, a, a boss could be right in your face about something and it's, you know, it's intense. But I always think back to the Dalai Lama. You know, if, 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 if a terrorist came up to the Dalai Lama and stuck a gun to the Dalai Lama's head, the Dalai Lama would probably look at them and say, Wow, that's interesting. Son, what's going through your mind right now? You believe in, in, I bet you in minutes, the person would be, the gun would be down and the person would be sitting beside the Dalai Lama cross-legged having a wonderful conversation. If you be the pond, I think you really diffuse the situation. You'll find that the other person will take on your Zen and you'll be able to get to a resolution much more quickly. Wow, great advice. And, and from my perspective, the one thing is, is as, as you mentioned, take a look at the big picture and, and really trying to get into, you know, the empathy of getting into someone else's shoes. You know, years ago, 
I would take things personally and I was only thinking of myself and not thinking of what the other person was going through. And I find when you do that now, they've got their stresses. Everybody's fearful about something and, and almost giving them a little bit of room themselves and, and not looking at it internally from your perspective can, can help you then check in and have a good discussion and, and move forward. Paul, this has been great. I'm wondering, is there, is there one last sort of point, whether it's a watch out or a, a piece of advice or an insight that you could share with the listeners just on not taking things personally? Well, I think the best thing that you can do is master it yourself. And once you have, then teach others. Because, you know, be the change you want to see in the world and then hopefully bring that to others so that more of us will not take it personally. Fantastic. Excellent advice. Thank you so much. So, Paul, thank you so much for being on the Change on the Run podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your perspectives and your advice going forward. So how can people get in contact with you? The best way to get uh, in touch with me is LinkedIn, so Paul Marshall Don. And then, of course, my email address, uh, and you're all welcome to email me at any time. I love your input is paul at whatisleisure.com. Fantastic. Thank you. We'll put it in the notes as well. Thanks again. And I'd also like to thank our producer, Charlie Buckley. And thank you for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, please email me at phil at changewithconfidence.com. For upcoming episodes, please subscribe to the Change on the Run podcast. And please write a review if you've got the time. And until the next time, I wish you the best as you continue to lead change.